Our next session, where we will also welcome your questions, is a fascinating one, and it's been designed to follow so neatly. Caught between principles and prescription, the industry perspective, and using the miracle of technology, our speaker from Melbourne, Bryce, is on your screen. So we welcome our moderator, he'll be there soon, uh, Matthew Smith, to work with his all-star panel. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, so look, th uh, this session is designed to then lead into the workshop. Uh, so hopefully this is the industry's opportunity to speak about the Corporations Act, some of the speed bumps they think, and uh, to use some of the judges' words, uh, the forks in the road and uh, conditional statements. Really interested to, to get out of uh, this uh, steam panel um, some of those um, troubles and roadblocks. So, uh, and do we have Bryce on the screen? There he is. G'day, Bryce. How are you in Melbourne? Morning. Hope well, thank down you. is going okay with you there, and great to have you on screen. Um, look, I'll, I'll start with Kerry um, now. Let's just introduce each panellist as we go along. Um, Kerry, uh, you're, um, let me see here, obviously uh, a former advisor and head of compliance at um, Madison Financial. So really interested in your view as an advisor and then as a licensee, what are some of the, the tricky things to do with the Corporations Act in, in, in practicality? Yeah, I think you know, one of the things you know, that we, we never want to lose sight of is the fact that there are client conversations at the end. So advisors change clients' lives every day by the advice that they give. And they do that in what has for the last 20 years been, as Judge Darrington said, a very complex world of legislation and ever-changing on top of things like the FASIA education standards and needing to pass an exam and moving from a reasonable basis world into a best interest duty world and everything else in between. Um, advisors become advisors because they want to help their clients. They want to change their lives for the better. They want to help them retire or help protect their family or help them save for something. And the way that they do that and how many boxes they may need to tick to do that and how many file notes they may need to write to protect their advice continues to change for them. Uh, and so from a principal's perspective, if we lose sight of the fact that every conversation they have is with a person, then we're just going to get lost in legislative detail. Now, uh, I know it's early on in our conversation, but are there any things in particular you would, or anything from the judge conversation you would call out um, from an industry perspective? I think we should listen. Uh, like I think that I didn't see a lot of people shaking their heads and disagreeing with what was said. Right. And I think, you know, we often question how we got here. Um, as in collectively how we got here and how things have changed and, and we are moving or, um, at, to a profession, what does that look like? I think the call out, um, that we do it together. Uh, you know, this is a collective room and online of you know, leaders in the advice profession, um, but representative of advisors, um, advisors under our licences, advisors that we work with if you're um, from a, a distribution um, or a, a product or an insurer or a, you know, a third party that supports the industry, um, you know, that we are all in it together mm. and that um, part of the reason we are so heavily regulated the way that we are with really complex laws, as we all know and have had reaffirmed for us today, is because we haven't done it together. So you've got um, some interesting challenges uh, and we'll come back uh, to this conversation, so I'll let you think about it for a moment. But uh, Madison, uh, recently bought by Climb, 
Klein's a product manufacturer, a manufacturer um, so head of compliance within a dealer group, owned by a product manufacturer, very interested in your view on managing conflicts in that way. So um, want to kind of speak to that. Um, just you know, in your um, you know, in your position as head of compliance at a um, medium-sized dealer group, like where do you spend most of your time? Who do you talk to the most? Is it the regulator? Is it internally stakeholders? Advisors. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, speaking to advisors yep. or to the advice coaches who yep. are part of our governance team who are speaking to advisors. Yep. Um, I'm thankful I'm not speaking to the regulator anywhere near as much as I speak to our advisors. Yep. But that's where yeah that's where my time is best spent. Yep. Okay. Well, we'll talk about uh, that vertical integration and conflicts management issue now. Tom, uh, Tom Redcliffe, uh, you know, former group executive um, of an advice um, business, now a consultant and on the board of uh, Licensee. Um, really interested in your perspective, some of your um, views from the Darrington conversation, and, and, and your own views. Yeah, I, I was actually really heartened by that. I okay. thought that was a real positive. I, I like the way that's that's heading, but my fear is that we aren't looking at the core issue that got us here in the first place. And I think that there's a cult, there's mistrust at multiple levels in the system. I think the regulator and the government don't trust or haven't trusted the industry. Um, and I think the industry itself, whenever you turn up to Canberra or you or you go anywhere, everyone always says. There are people turning up to talk to us that have got their own interests at heart, vested interests. And I think that as an, as an industry, we have struggled to unify together for a, for a voice. And the, the party that's, that's been at the end of that is the advisor. And they really feel like they're in a pressure cooker at the moment. They really do. Costs are going up, supply them are going down, um, and, and there's mental health stuff that comes off the back of that. And there's a lot of clients being spilled out uh, as orphans. So I feel that I'm really positive about that last discussion. But I think if we don't get to the root cause of why things are they are now, it's just going to be a superficial change. Um, and, and my view is the answer lies in uh, uh, starting with the client and starting with financial planning as a legally recognised profession. Now, to be a legally recognised profession, like an accountant or lawyer, it's under professional standards legislation, um, and I think we should be striving for that. Uh, because clients want to feel in control, um, they want to also feel like they're getting value for money, and at the moment we're dishing up waste. So we've, we've got stuff that's failing the, client's the client test, um, it's dishing up cost and waste that they're paying for. So they're not getting the value they should. So I'll give you, I just thought I'd finish with a few that I've, I feel don't pass the test, the client and the profession test. The whole idea that we call, chapter seven is called retail product advice makes me nauseous. Um, and, and I love the idea that we're seriously rethinking chapter seven um, and people are dishing out of retail clients doing wholesale and sophisticated only off an outdated definition. Best interest duty. Now, I was, I was around, that one was being debated, and, and all of a sudden it, it was, oh, no, we can't have a common law like best interest duty. It's got to be black and white. All these safe harbour steps came in. Oh, and then right at the end, the seventh step, if in doubt. Uh, and, and that's lit. So Neil wrote an article recently, uh, which here's, the, here's how that works. 
is the regulatory guidance on SOAs has taken professional judgment out. And no matter what, you sort of see X and Y, and it's, oh no, we've got a three alternative strategies, three product things. It's taken professional judgment out, which takes efficiency out, and it also doesn't enable technology, because most artificial intelligence uh, you know, gets into that swing, and I think it's inhibited that. Just uh, on that point, uh, yeah. Tom, so I asked the same question to Judge, do you think mm. the industry's ready to go down the path to be able to be in a 100%. principles basis? But, but I do come back to my earlier point, it's not just as simple as flicking a switch. I, I think there's a, there's a pendulum. And um, we do need, I think, principles-based, but then we've got to have clear regulatory guidance that comes off the back as well. It probably needs to be, in some instances, a bit black and white. But at the moment, the pendulum uh, is so far the other way, it needs to swing back this way. I'll give you some examples of regulatory guidance. At the moment, I, I chair two compliance committees. We're three weeks out debating enhanced FDS and fixed term agreements. There's no got the three weeks out. Um, and, and I'm on three licensee boards and three different law firms with three different opinions. That surely that's, that's not the hallmarks of the client or a profession. Breach reporting. Every, every, everyone coming in October, everyone goes, regulatory guidance on that. Well, let's just report everything. Um, well, so once again, the client will pay. It's not client first. It's poor process. FASIA standard three and seven, good news. I liked a bit of the words, that's great. But that just came in. That was actually heading in the right direction early. And I remember waking up one morning and all the wording had changed for standard three and seven. And everyone, the, the issue is not the FASIA code itself. I think it's actually pretty good. But it's the communication. It was, that got, just got dropped in. And then, everyone, and then confidence is lost. And as a profession, you've got to have confidence in the professional system which is what lacks. So I think that we, I'm absolutely in favour of swinging the pendulum to principles, but we've got to attack the raw issue that got us here. Um, we've got to be client first, genuinely client first and profession first uh, in where we go from here. Thanks, Tom. A lot, a lot there, and I have some mm. follows, but we're going to continue to move on and, and come back to those. In particular, representation. We've got Dante Degori from the FPA here in the in the audience, and uh, he'll be speaking, uh, doing a bit of Q and A with me um, tomorrow. So, interested in people's thoughts about representation and how we how the industry can um, be representing itself. Um, but Bryce, uh, so I'm going to look down the camera to you, Bryce. Uh, can you see me? Okay. Uh, great to have you, mate, uh, and it's really good to to obviously have the, the more of the ecosystem, um, you know, thought, uh, you know, in this conversation as well. Uh, so, as a product provider, what are some of the issues or or, or speed bumps uh, that you're seeing with the Corporations Act and and the legislative arrangements generally? Yeah, thanks, Matt, and good morning, everyone. Um, I, I think picking up on two of the comments that Kerry and Tom have spoken to is at the coalface where we are absolutely seeing the impacts and the outcomes of the higher cost of advice, the higher complexity. And so at CFS ourselves, we've seen over 25% of our customers are now non-advised. Um, now there's a whole lot of history and success behind this business. It's got a whole lot of myriad of products, but if you, if you then focus that down um, to where the more contemporary solutions that we have in market the number of customers that are not getting advice has doubled since 2017. 
So that is an extraordinary amount of Australians that either through their own decisions or through their advisors' decisions have made the call to no longer receive advice. And I think we're all spending a lot of time talking about affordability and how we get that access for more Australians. And we're one of the largest providers in market. We've got one of the biggest sample sizes and the trend is not heading in the right direction in that respect. We're seeing it going the other way. And I think probably the most concerning part of that data is we see that most concentrated in the pre and post retiree cohort of our business. And so reflecting on the trends that we see in market, I would have expected personally to see those being the areas that have held up. They're genu generally the people in Australia that can see the value in advice given the time they are in their life. Uh, they've got more money, they're more affluent, but we're actually seeing an acceleration in that, in that area, which, which is a surprise. So Bryce, you're speaking to the orphan client problem. So you're seeing a lot of clients that perhaps have been, um, you know, uh, stranded um, as a result of advisors. I, I presume perhaps um, leaving the industry, um, or do, does the data get down to to to, to that level? Oh, I, I think it's a mix, Matthew. It's it's uh, it's advisors leaving the industry. It's advisors going up the scale curve in terms of the wealth yep. of their clients. I reflect on my own parents' situation. Their advisor exited the industry, um, didn't even choose to sell his business. Um, this is a few years ago now, post-Royal Commission, just decided to walk away. And I guess luckily I'm in the industry so I could help my parents find another advisor, but I shudder to think um, how many other people would have been in that situation, may not have been so fortunate. And so that, these are what we're seeing playing out um, when we look at our own data. Yeah. And are institutions such as CFS, um, you know, creating kind of scaled solutions or is, uh, what, is, it, is there any work that uh, you guys are doing in relation to, um, I know you've exited advice, um, but is there any, anything that uh, is kind of on the horizon from a more scaled perspective? Oh, we see our obligation as finding a way to help um, lower those barriers to advice by supporting advisors to do yep. that. So that's where our immediate focus is. Uh, we think all of us in, in, in the industry has been spoken about already have a role to play in making advice more accessible and more affordable. What we can do is innovate and support advisors and be more efficient. I think one of the points that Tom just made around rules, we have to implement a lot of these rules and obligations. So we have to find a way to do that as seamlessly, seamlessly as possible and continue to advocate where it's appropriate. Yeah. on behalf of licensees and advisors as well. Okay, great. So um, we'll have another round of conversations and then perhaps open it up to Q&A. Interested in the second round, Bryce, um, perhaps on the DDO and, and how some of, uh, as a product provider, um, some of the things coming down the pipeline might be uh, changing or augmenting um, you know, your uh, you know, role in the industry. Um, but Kerry, uh, you know, tough questions now. Um, you know, how do you manage um, conflict, you know, as a, as a licensee? Um, there seems to be conflict everywhere. Well, there isn't really business without conflict. Yes. Um, so in terms of specifically being part of client, um, you know, advisors, if we look at, if we just look at the code of ethics, advisors have so many obligations that far surpass what sits in best interest duty in the Corpse Act. And so, if, I mean, our, our APL is exceptionally broad. Um, there is no mandate whatsoever. Um, and certainly, um, you know, we've, you know, and th there's a number of different ways that, um, whether they're advisors within our group at the moment or who are looking at joining us, um, you know, our intention, or oh, sorry, there shouldn't be 
and it, the starting point is sort of to go back to what Tom said earlier about, you know, looking at product replacement, what has to go into an SOA and all of those kinds of things. The starting point for best interest duty is can the client achieve what they're trying to achieve where they are now? And if they can't, then what needs to change in order for them to be able to do that? And so if everything that we do uh, in this industry and specifically as a licensee is client-focused, then best interest duty just falls out of that as a result. Okay. Tom? Yeah, I wouldn't mind going back to just one quick thing that Bryce mentioned as Please, well. Yeah. Uh, it would be great if the product providers with the enhanced FDS, this is a good example of regulation coming down the pipe, could all unify to one process. Yeah. Well, the advisors are saying that. Yeah, all, so yeah, that's a, consent. Yep, yep. That's, a, that's a really good example of where the advisors are feeling it off the back of how that, that this gets implemented. Um, yeah, but, but look, uh, I, I think that um, in terms of what Kerry's referring to there, uh, the, the, the way we, I feel we should be progressing is towards the hallmarks of a profession. Uh, I do think, you know, in Kerry's model and where there's product, and I've been in that world, you know, with product and advice, I think you should be striving to break even in your advice business. Um, I think the concept of product subsidising advice is it the way to go? Um, but I feel that's a, 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 the platform you want to be on when you're doing both of those things that you, you were mentioning before, mm. having both. And I've, I've been in that system, um, so I understand it pretty well. But I think that should be, that should be the stated goal. That yeah, and we're, we're talking a lot about advice uh, models and business models yep. uh, coming up throughout the, mm. the series. Um, um, and Bryce, uh, to give you the opportunity to, to respond there and um, to, to, to perhaps add on the FDS and um, you know, your role in the industry perhaps, um, helping advisors and licensees. Yeah, it's, it's a great point and it's one that we get um, consistent feedback from advisors around how do we make this simpler, how do we make it consistent, one process, um, whether it's directly through planning software or within the, plan, uh, the, the platforms themselves. And, um, not me personally, but I know our business has done a lot of work through the FSC and others in advocating for um, a legislative instrument that's consistent and easy to implement. I, I don't think we're there yet, but um, we're certainly continuing to fight that battle and, and we see that as a key thing that we should be um, focusing on to support this affordability issue that, that, mm. uh, that arises through this. And on to design um, and distribution obligations and how that augments your role and position in the industry. Can you give us a little bit of, um, you know, internal chatter and how that's shaping up? Sure. Obviously, the, the obligations uh, across both issuers and distributors of the products. And so um, CFS is unique in that it plays a role of both in certain circumstances. Um, we do support uh, the position of DDO is... There's not a shortage of things that we're seeing that are not true to label in market. And, and we also support the personal advice exemptions around that. Um, where we see these areas for improvement, I'm not sure if everyone in the room's aware, but as a distributor, um, there's a requirement to report um, nil complaints and, and nil um, movements outside of the TMDs on an ongoing basis for all licensees. And, and if you don't report a nil outcome of those complaints, or triggers, then you are in fact um, liable to potential criminal penalties, and, and we think that's um, 
we think a better way for that is to um, allow people, if they don't have complaints to report, then they don't report them, as opposed to putting that onus, because that's just another layer of obligation that, that doesn't, degree, uh, doesn't add a degree of value to the end consumer. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of great topics on the table now. Um, you know, among them, I think the technologists or, you know, people in technology companies in the room um, perhaps might have something to add on, on scalable advice and um, what, what's possible there. Uh, any questions in the room to start with? And uh, happy to kind of keep going. If, uh, the room is taking a little bit, a little bit of a while to... Uh, but we have uh, one here. Hi. Eugene Ardino, Lifespan Financial Planning. A couple of comments, if I may, um, on conflicts of interest. Um, I'm glad you said what you said, Kerry. And I would say if we think that specialists and lawyers don't have quite enormous conflicts when they're approached just because they're not vertically integrated, although the big law firms are some of the most vertically integrated uh, organisations around, I think we're kidding ourselves. So... The industry seems to have gone down the path of trying to get rid of conflicts. And if you look at the, probably the biggest scandal in financial services from the Royal Commission, the fee for no service, that was all to do with fees. It wasn't really to do with conflicts of interest. So I would make that as a comment. The second thing I would say is to talk about the cost of advice, neither FOFA or the Royal Commission, despite the fact that they were supposed to consider the impact of all of their recommendations and and laws on the cost of advice, I don't believe they did at all. So I would really hope that the Law Reform Commission that's going to do their review over the next few years does... I'm not sure if it's part of the terms of reference. It's not. Great. You mentioned you mentioned <laughs> costs of advice, so I hope you'll consider it anyway. Um, but as, as it was said earlier, the cost of advice is going up. And Bryce, what you've seen in terms of clients being orphaned, I expect that to accelerate because it's, from what I see as a licensee, it's being done as it pops up. Uh, advisors are not actually looking at their client base and saying, gee, I've got all these clients that I either can't afford to service or I'm not receiving any money for, let's orphan them. So, you know, so I, I would hope that that gets considered, um, even though perhaps it's not part of the terms of reference. Yeah, great commentary from the floor there, um, and no question in there. But uh, I would, I would say no. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> um, I mean, Hain did not, um, you know, ban vertical integration. So my interpretation, perhaps, of that is that, and where's the judge uh, that um, that it's, you know, uh, you know, product conflicts can be managed. Um, however. Um, my interpretation of what we just talked about was perhaps if we're to be a professional, the advice industry is to be a profession that conflicts need to be eradicated. So, is yes. You've just got to be conscious of the different times where you're acting as a fiduciary, and that's likely when you are giving the advice. But if you are selling, um, then that's a different test, that as long as, you, and you can manage those conflicts by ensuring that the person to whom you are selling the product or giving the advice gives fully informed consent. And that's where you'll end up with greater complexity uh, and more regulation because you will have to ensure that the people understand exactly what you 
as an advisor are getting out of it in a monetary sense? Can I respond? Yes, please. I can say two things. Um, firstly, um, if we think about the VCA code, uh, the advisors have an obligation to make sure that their clients have provided free, prior and informed consent. If we go back to what Tom was saying earlier in relation to us all, I'm going to paraphrase you now, but needing to band together or pull together and move forward together to be a profession. If we go back um, to Eugene's you know, comment in relation to the Hain Royal Commission, that's exactly what the mortgage broking industry did. Uh, commissions and the way that brokers who sit outside of the large institutions could potentially get paid was put on the table. Now, there are multiple organisations within the mortgage broking industry. They banded together with one voice and one line around how that is going to impact the end consumer, the borrower, in terms of the expenses for them. And that that business model, if it wasn't able to continue, would drive up the cost to the person borrowing the money. And they did it with one voice and united, and as we all know, that fell by the wayside. Yep, and the other point that, um, uh, based on the commentary earlier, was that ASIC currently does have an advice affordability um, uh, you know, project out there, and they're taking consultations, so I believe that's underway. Now we've got um, a comment over here, from Treasury. Sure, and I think it's both a comment and a question. Please just um, name and... Oh, sorry, Mahita um, Zahid um, from Treasury, the Department of. Um, so just kind of picking up on some of the comments around some of the more recent reforms coming in, and we've had a few conversations about this with industry. There's a bit around the leadership piece and how the industry can come together. So breach reporting, DBO, some of the FDS ones, which is the law kind of prescribes that... You know, the law doesn't prescribe the form. The law doesn't say, this is the form, this is the approach. And that was some of the intentional design decisions around actually letting the industry have some of that flexibility. Now, what we are seeing coming through, um, especially at a very late stage at the moment, is this desire for actually government um, to set out through our legislative instrument or some other vehicle exactly what the form needs to go through because there's product manufacturers in the mix, there's advisors, there's licensees, and the cohesion between the three, and there's superannuation trustees, which we haven't talked about. I kind of treat them as product manufacturers in some senses. So I guess a question for this forum from a regulator perspective and from the government perspective is very much, what is the ability for the industry to come together where there's multiple parties in making some of those decisions? Um, we talk about principles-based regulation, but if industry is going, not going to be able to kind of come together and go, well, this is the form that meets legal obligations, then we kind of get into a chicken and egg kind of case. So I guess the question for the panel um, and whoever wants to take the first stab at it is, A, what's the barriers? B, what's the format? And C, um, what's the forum? Might not all be for this panel, but kind of really came for, um, from Treasury's perspective to get a bit more of that understanding. Yeah, happy for one of the panel to pick up. I'll also say that we're doing a workshop in the next session and uh, each table uh, is going to have kind of 20 minutes of um, thinking to put down top three ideas from the um, first two sessions. So there will be an opportunity to put your best ideas down and communicate that to the stage. But yeah, open to... I'll have a, I'll have a crack at it. Um, I, I use a term um, creative amnesia. And, and, and I think what that means is people go in feeling they're representing the industry to you. But the test, I believe, should be, is what I'm saying in my consultation with you, 
Is it genuinely serving the client and is it enhancing financial planning as a profession? So I think there's got to be a set of principles that you have in your mind as you get involved in these committees or you collaborate with each other and consult because too often I think you get um, people saying they're doing that but frankly not. And I think the, that the answer for us is we have to change the way we think in the first place because a profession um, serves the client first. I know everybody here feels that way. It's in the DNA, every advisor. But are we actually doing that when we give feedback and consult? And I would argue to this point, largely no, would be my answer. Kerry? Completely agree with Tom. Um, I would add to that um, is the operation in silos. So if we think simply about DDO for a moment, as Bryce mentioned, there's a design and a distribution obligation. There's a personal advice carve-out that's sitting there. But anyone who's unadvised doesn't sit under that. So when we look at something like a TMD, that is and needing to make sure that client, or unadvised clients or investors or account holders, product holders, whatever product it may be, that they fit inside of that TMD. But we've sat in meetings, and I'm sure well, I'm not the only licensee representative who's done this in recent times, where we've explicitly been told, we're just going to ask for an SOA to make sure that this client's received advice to fit the personal advice exemption. Now, we're not going to hand over any SOAs, but we have to work together to come up with a better solution. And it's the same when it comes to the enhanced FDS and fee consent. They are two different pieces of obligations, but we're trying to get to the same outcome. So a client's going to have to sign five or six different documents if we don't have a united approach in the way that we tackle making sure that the advisor and the licensee has done what they need to do from an enhanced FDS perspective and that that fee consent for ongoing fees or upfront fees or one-off fees can go to the rider in a timely fashion, um, you know, as easy as it can. Bryce, is there anything you could add there? Oh, I think just the, the comment that Tom almost opened with is what is the problem that we're actually solving uh, in each of these instances for the benefit of the client that's receiving advice? I think if we start there in any forum um, with respect to some of these changes and engaging regulators around how we might implement them, I think that has to be the starting proposition. And I agree with the comments that both Kerry and Tom have made more broadly, because I think if we do that, then we can um, align around delivering those solutions, whether it's through our products or, or through other components of, of, the, um, of the industry. Okay, we're down to the wire on this session, but there is an opportunity, yep, right here in front. Um, Kerry, just uh, carrying on from your um, conversation, the thing about SOAs for new clients, so there's a lot of consolidation, there's lots of advisors leaving. The, the law says that when you change licensees, a statement of advice must be provided. It doesn't. I would disagree. <laughs> I disagree with you. It, it, it doesn't say... So it doesn't say that? I, um, if Sorry, my judge... lawyer said that. <laughs> this is the problem. Yeah, I, right? I, so that's, that's, the, so, that's the interpretation. So if, yeah. we, if we look at the providing entity 
and that's you know, we're looking at two different situations. So if I'm the advisor and I'm self-employed and I move from licence A to licence B, and I'm whether it's me as an individual AR or it's the car that's provided the SO or provided the advice previously, I'm the providing entity and I can incorporate by reference my SOA into a new advice document or ROA as long as the client's circumstances haven't materially changed and the scope of the advice has not. So that's so uh, name and organisation first. It's a Philip. Yeah, so the, the point of that is it's the same advice. You've got advisors leaving. So if you buy another business, and there's lots of people in the room that are buying other businesses, that that, incorpora that incorporation doesn't actually take place. It depends so the, how they buy the business. The independent, the independent client doesn't want to have their stuff restated. I, as the new licensee, need to provide it for no benefit to the end client. So this is for the judge maybe to pick up. That's a cost. That's a cost issue. So when you're actually doing that, you're not wanting to pick up people because there's actually a cost there. The client doesn't get any benefit. So, again, red tape. Well, not only red tape, um, because on, as Tom and I said, it's interpretation exactly right. And that's one of the things where we have this exceptionally complex world that we live in, that we all love and live and breathe, but there are different interpretations which causes additional complexity on what's already a complex situation. Yeah, great. And a quick one, Tom, and then over to the question here. When you look at the cost of advice, just relabeling simple and complex won't make that big a difference. If you Typically for an initial client, it's about 25 to 30 hours and about half of that is in the SOA construction. So you, you've got to look at the whole thing just by relabeling stuff, it's not going to cut it. I mean, a lot of people are still using front-end paper-based fact finds. Yeah. So, there's, there's a, so you, you've got to look at that entire process to reduce the cost of advice, not just relabeling is what I would suggest as well. But uh, you could, or you could look at it slightly different to your original point was remove mm. product from... Um, you know, separate product and advice. Yes, uh, I just don't think we should be referring to advice as retail product advice under law. Yeah. yeah. Um, question over here, is it John again? Eugene. Eugene, sorry. <coughs> just on that issue of doing SOAs when you join your licensee, I agree with you, Kerry, I, but I've had, I've had an opinion on each side, one that says you don't have to, one that says you do, which is great. Another example of pretty competent um, uh, advisors saying complete opposite things. We actually went with making new advisors do them against the, the advice of, of one group. And the reason we did that is, again, we heard from a source that ASIC went into a, uh, a licensee, found that they weren't getting them to do it, and then all of a sudden they started doing them. And this was quite a large licensee. I won't mention the name. Um, and that could be hearsay, but that's what we heard. So we decided to, to make that a requirement. I actually agree with you. I don't think that's what the law says. I don't think you have to. But it's an example where we've taken a, a more conservative approach, perhaps against a set of legal advisors, and it just it just creates more work and more cost. But, you know, there is a bit of fear there of the regulator, even though perhaps we're, 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 we're going over the top. I'll just uh, give Bryce a little opportunity to come in here and close off the conversation. We'll do a... Uh, quick close off from um, the team here, but Bryce um, from Melbourne, and I hope you guys get out of lockdown soon. Um, you know, what, what are some final thoughts um, from your perspective? I think as as a major player in the industry, we have a role to play in this, in trying to simplify our own processes, but working collaboratively across the industry 
to get the outcomes that have been discussed on stage today and I'm sure over the course of the next day and a half. And so I think for the other product providers in the room, I would say we do have a responsibility. We are highly integrated into this industry by virtue of the services that we provide. Um, and I think it's incumbent on us to find better ways of, of doing things and trying to help simplify these outcomes because if we don't play a part, then the, the, the figure quoted of $3,200 to give financial advice and the impacts we're seeing in our book where people are no longer getting it are going to continue to go in the wrong direction and we need to reverse that trend. Yeah. And so, Tom, some clear thoughts from you this morning. We haven't even got onto individual licensing, so maybe that's no. for the water cooler. For another time. <laughs> uh, the, I, I just repeat what I've said. I think the number one thing is, uh, is what I'm saying and doing enhancing the, the trust and the value to the client is what I'm doing taking us further towards a legally recognised profession like lawyers and accountants, or is it taking us further away? It's just, just some simple rules of thumb and some principles to follow as we all consult in what I think is a really positive situation. I'm starting, this is the first time I've, I feel I see the light for a while where there's ears are open and we've got an opportunity to engage. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Harry, do you see the light as well? I do. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you... We, I want to say I feel like it could be really simple. I'm very aware it's a complex problem. But you know, if, we, if we're moving, we want to move to a principles-based approach. So it's really um, what would I want done to that client? What should be the right thing for that client? How would I want that client treated if they were me or my mum or my brother? Or what does that look like? And going in with that concept rather than any unintended biases or known conflicts we have. Okay, great. Look, we've got some great fodder to go to table conversations with in a moment, but I'd like to thank now Kerry, Tom and Bryce. Thanks very much. Thank you.